So, Dan, you have a cup. Yes, sir. I have a cup. Well, normally we have cups here. This is a goblet. But now you have a goblet. Why? Chalice. Do you have a chalice? (laughs) Well, so because we film these all the time, Mm -hmm. and we've started sometimes posting the video. Yes. And so I got this in the mail today, and I thought, well, this is a perfect chance to, to brag about it and show it off. So if you have a chance to see the video... This is like a really cool handmade stoneware goblet that I was sent because I was guest of honor at Conquest in Kansas City a couple months ago. And they sent some really cool presents already. Like, Mm. do you remember my short story, IE Demon, that we did in Shadows Beneath? Mm -hmm. Somebody made like a little yarn gremlin from that story to send to me as like, thank you for being guest of honor. And I thought that was it. And then they also sent me this super cool looking goblet. I so. was guest of honor at a convention in Kansas City. I can't remember it was, was Conquest. It Conquest? I can't remember. And they but didn't send you anything? I did not get a goblet. Oh, they man. treated me really well. If it's the same group, I mm-hmm. have rarely been treated this well by any con that I have participated in. They did a really good job. So. I did not get a goblet. I know that for sure. But the goblet might have been a special thing for this year's guests who had to do it all virtually. And Adam, I'm out of pens. <gasps> yep. All the pens are it gone. It was Conquest. Okay. So. Yeah. I want a goblet. Man, you get all the cool stuff. <laughs> mm. My stoneware goblet. I'm very proud of it. You need to drink something out of it. I haven't washed it yet. Ah. So for all I know, it's still full of like dust and fingerprints right. and stuff. But And I mean, we don't happen to have handy any blood of your enemies. I always keep a vial in the mm. glove compartment okay. just in case, yeah. but that's mm. that's all the way outside. So let's talk spoilers. Let's talk about spoilers. We mentioned spoilers when we talked about Black Widow. Yep. And we both have slightly differing policies regarding them. Mm-hmm. And so I think it could be interesting to drill deeper into that. There will not be spoilers in this episode as far as i know but it is a <laughs> we're going to talk about, about spoilers. spoilers going I think back it is very likely that at some point we're going to give examples mm. of how yeah. x or y spoiler did or did not you know ruin or improve my experience tell you what we will have producer adam put in the liner notes um anything we do major spoilers on accidentally <laughs> are but you not on the spoilers right now, themselves adam? No. That would be fantastic if the spoilers themselves were in there. Just liner notes. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> There's this great... Uh, Verbal is Kaiser Sozi. One of the Monty Python records, it's just a collection of their skits, has an introduction that I love. It's called the Introduction to the Executive Edition of the CD or whatever. And it lists off a bunch of words that are said to give you warning in the episode or in the CD. But then at the end it says, but they're only in this prologue. So you're past them now. <laughs> so it's, it's got a certain rating because of the prologue that they added to warn you about, about the words. the rating. Yeah, it's hilarious. Nice. But part of the inspiration for this particular episode is okay. I listened to a podcast a number of years ago. I believe it was Freakonomics, but it could have been like 99% Invisible, which sometimes touches on ideas like this. It could have been, it could have been any number, but this idea, lots of different podcasts have talked about this. It was the first time I'd heard it where people had started to study spoilers and their effect on enjoyment of media. 
And the study came back with some shocking results that being spoiled for a piece of media, according to their study, slightly improved people's enjoyment of the piece of media. That is very interesting. Yes. And the first question I have is how did they construct their study to control for that particular thing? Yeah. So this specific study, the one I, the first one I read up about, basically took two groups of people who had never seen a particular piece of media, spoiled half of them, and then had them both watch it and rate their enjoyment, which is a very squishy way to determine. Now, this study, because it was so interesting, has been done many different times in a lot of different ways. And you get contrasting results. So I have to give full disclosure. Other people have studied and found Mm -hmm. slight dislike, just slight, slightly more dislike of something if it's spoiled. The you like it mores have more studies supporting them. In other words, this is all because it's self-reporting. That's basically the Mm -hmm. only way that you can make this work. It is a really hard one to yeah it's hard to be yeah. really like rigorously scientific about yes. it yes because there's no way to know if that person would have enjoyed it less without the spoiler exactly there's no way to measure that but i think self-reporting is still a very fair way yes. of doing it because if they say they enjoyed it then they enjoyed it and um, the evidence weights toward a slight increase in enjoyment mm-hmm. for a group who have been spoiled and then watch a piece of media or experience a piece of media. They've done it with literature. It's actually higher in literature that people are more likely to enjoy it than film, as I understand. I Mm -hmm. could be getting that wrong. I only went and re-glanced over these things beforehand just to refresh myself. And so I'm pulling these statistics from the back of my brain, not necessarily from a sheet in front of me, but I believe (laughs) that literary, you're more likely to like it more. But again, they're very slight factors. Very slight. I wanted to just kind of talk about the idea of spoilers. and Well, see, I can kind of see where some of that might be coming from. I mm-hmm. can see a lot of different reasons why spoilers might increase enjoyment. But, for example, when we talked about Speed Racer last time we mm-hmm. recorded, you walked us through the opening scene. Right. And the first time I saw that opening scene, it was an inexplicable mess. But the second time I watched it, after you had said, no, this is what they're doing— it all made perfect sense to me. And so I can absolutely see how there is a way of knowing something about it in advance can help to trigger all these little bits of, oh, I see what they're doing. And, oh, this makes sense. Right. And help something hang together better. You know, that is an interesting way to put it because the way I, I look at it, I hate spoilers for me. Yeah. I hate being spoiled. And I also hate when people are spoiled in my books because it ruins that... You know, that the prestige, as they call it, a term I learned from the book, the prestige, which is one that I would not like people to get spoiled for because it has really interesting twists and turns. Mm. Before the movie came out, I read the book. And so I didn't know some of the things that the movie reveals, which are big twists. And I love the book because of its ability to pull off the prestige, that moment where you get it and you understand and you have that awe of, hey, it's come together. That's a good example to bring up. And again, here's a case where there's no way to know what would have happened otherwise. Mm -hmm. I was spoiled on The Prestige beforehand. Yep. And I found the movie to be pretty boring. Mm. And when we got to the big thing at the end, I'm like, really? That's it? And I wonder how much the spoiler caused that reaction. 
So here's a cool thing. Let's talk about this one because I'm going to give some spoilers for The Prestige. Okay. So here's, We're going to spoil The Prestige. We are going to spoil The Prestige. The 20-year-old movie. So 15. I'm going to talk more about the book, but I'm going to talk about the movie a little bit because this is a good case study and spoiler because I think you're right. There are certain things that if you get spoiled on, like if the story hinges on a big reveal, being spoiled for that reveal is a bigger deal than being spoiled. Guess what? These two characters get together. Oh, really? It's a romance story. They hook up <laughs> at the end. I'm so How surprised. Dare you ruin this for yeah. me. Guess what? The Avengers win, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's not a spoiler, really, except when they don't win. Yeah. But the prestige. Let's talk about the prestige. So the book is written in this really clever way where it's epistolary which you can't really get across in the movie. For those who don't know, epistolary means it's taken as journal entries and mm -hmm. things like that. And it's now been a while since I read it, so I don't know if both sets of viewpoints are journal entries, but I know that the character that is Batman's character in the movie. Christian Bale. Christian Bale's character in the movie. Yeah. His is all epistolary. Okay. And the big twist for his sequence is he's a magician, and he pulls off this really interesting teleportation trick where no one else can figure out how he does it, where he goes in a door on one side of the stage and he comes out the door on the other side of the stage. And the rival to him, the rival... Uh, the rival magician? Magician. Sorry, the word magician. The rival wizard. The rival wizard, the rival magician is like baffled by this. Like, how can he do this? And that's one of the driving conflicts of the book mm -hmm. is how is he able to do this? And you realize that... Christian Bale's character is a set of twins who from childhood have hidden the fact that they're twins specifically so that they can become master magicians and pull off this trick. Yeah. And part of the reason that I think that spoiler for the movie would decrease enjoyment, but it might increase enjoyment for the book is the way the book covers it is through journal entries every alternating day is one of the brothers. So it's a slightly different voice? So it's a slightly different voice. And it That's is really cool. brilliant. Slightly different motivations. Mm -hmm. They kind of just argue with each other a little bit. And like the journal entry, is, it's almost like these are written so that the other brother will know what they did the day before, right? Mm -hmm. That they read the brother's journal entry because they each get one day, alternating days to live their life. The other one stays in a room for each alternating day. And so these journal entries, they are brilliant. They're some of the best writing I've ever seen. Christopher Priest wrote the book. And if you read these things knowing the twist, I think you will enjoy those journal entries better because you can be in awe of the author's skill in pulling off those really nuanced voices and things like that. And it works really, really well. well. And I have not read the book. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like there are two kinds of enjoyment to be had from there. Yeah. There is the mounting confusion yes. of what is going on? There's something wonky with these. And then you figure it out and you go, holy yeah. cow. And then there's the, oh, I'm going to read this again so I can see what is what is happening, mm -hmm. which is essentially the experience you have when spoiled on yes. it, right? Right. I went back and I reread and it works perfectly because both of those work in mm -hmm. this book because as the journal entries are confusing where it seems like the character has forgotten things that happened the day before that, you know, like, you know, certain things happen from your experiences with Wolverine's character that didn't make mm -hmm. it into the journal entry. And then the character seems to forget them because they're not in the journal entry, stuff like that. Right. Uh -huh. So you've got this kind of metatextual understanding that those in the text don't have some dramatic irony. And man, that book is really good. It won the world fantasy award which both the author and a lot of people surrounding it 
kind of admit it shouldn't have because it's a science fiction in their opinion. The one kind of genre fiction spec fic yeah. element in it is actually this cloning device. Right. And what's really fascinating to me as you are describing the movie mm -hmm. is that I always forget about the identical twin thing. Right. Because for me, the big spoiler that somebody gave me was, yes. oh, he's actually cloning himself. Hugh Jackman right. is doing this thing. And so I wonder if my focus on the Hugh Jackman spoiler right. made me miss or undervalue the Christian Bale spoiler, because to me, that's not even an important part of the story. Right. Well, that's the difference between the movie and the book, which is so interesting, right? Mm. This is such, such a great example of this because the movie picks a viewpoint and it's Hugh Jackman's character, right? Yeah. And so Christian Bale's character is the rival and Hugh Jackman's character is the protagonist. And you still get from the book that same story with Hugh Jackman, where mm -hmm. he goes to Tesla and he's like, I don't know how to do this trick. I need to figure it out. And they come up with a device that will clone him so that he can do a teleporting trick, a similar one, where he gets dumped into a giant vat of water, locked up, and then magically escapes. And this is, I mean, I love this film and this book for this reason, has a very different type of prestige because the end you realize, and in the book you get to kind of see this, that he is killing himself every day, right? Mm -hmm. The clone is the one that's surviving. And then he goes and dies and a new clone comes out. And so basically you get this moment of sheer horror where you realize he is drowning to death every day to pull off this trick. A version of him is going through this really awful, terrible death in order to pull off being a magician yeah. and to upstage his rival, which is awesome because the twins are living half their lives in order to do this. And now he is killing himself every day to do a similar trick. And it's just kind of just brilliant parallelism. I love this book for this reason. <laughs> but the movie basically has to be in Christian Bale's viewpoint. I don't think it has to be, but that's what Christopher Nolan chose. In Hugh Jackman's viewpoint? In Hugh Jack, sorry. Yeah, in Hugh Jackman's viewpoint. And it works really well, but that's I think a wise move because they couldn't do the same textual stuff they did mm -hmm. with Christian Bale's character in the book. Yeah. And they could maybe have gone and maybe they did. And I don't remember and done some really interesting like acting choices with mm -hmm. two different versions of Christian Bale or something like that. They do give hints through the whole thing for that same sort of stuff. It just, the movie can only be two hours. Mm -hmm. And so you can't linger as long as the book does. You don't have like in the book, you're spending hours with each of these characters being like, what is going on? And figuring it out. And you know that the book is about the prestige, the reveal. So you're trying to figure it out. And the mm -hmm. clues are there. So spoilers for that book. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, have you run across people? And have you had this experience? I have it quite a lot with other people. I don't have it with myself as much where they say, I enjoyed it the second time through better. Oh, I'm sure that I've heard that. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Can you think of examples where you enjoyed something where the second I time better? more the second time through? I'll let you think on that because I've got an example of what right, happened to me. It. The MCU. Okay. And in this case, the being spoiled for the endings was not as big of a deal because these are stories that don't hinge on their endings nearly as much. And I did like them slightly less because of that aspect, right? I... Do think I'm a person who prefers to not be spoiled. But watching the MCU get built 
seeing these things all come together in their interlock, knowing that the whole is much stronger than the sum of its parts, knowing that Iron Man and Captain America have really excellent character arcs across multiple movies that, you know, there are parts that don't work as well because these were made by different filmmakers and all these things. But in the end, the fact that it has a good ending enhanced my enjoyment of the whole thing. Yeah. Watching it all the way through again, I liked almost all. In fact, the only one I didn't like quite as much the second time through was Iron Man 1. Mm. Because Iron Man 1 had been such a surprise how much I liked it the first time. That now it is just a better than average MCU film rather yeah. than this, wow, that was amazing. I can't believe how good Robert Downey Jr. is in that role because <laughs> I know how good he is yeah. in that role now. Mm -hmm. We've uh, seen it a lot. Yeah, Totally incidental to this conversation. I was talking to some friends today about our Black Widow episode, and they said, oh, I was just really surprised that you and Brandon liked the MCU so much. And that always blows my mind, that right. anyone can be surprised at anyone else like mm. being really familiar with and fond of the MCU, because it's the most popular like media thing in the world. Dan, we're supposed to be literary snobs. <laughs> didn't you get that didn't memo? Didn't I? No, I didn't. You even write, like you're even two steps more literary than I am in the, the continuum of literary. And you have written books that are over the line into straight up literary, right? Like Hollow City is- Hollow City is, is more literary than a lot of what I write, that is true. Like I mean, if there's an imaginary line between yeah. popular and literary, you stepped over the line there and you're always kind of hovering by that line. Well, and I did do Ghost Station, which has no genre elements at yeah. all, mm. which makes me better than you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talk about the prestige. That was a great delivery, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. The MCU was better the second time through for me. And I hate spoilers. So that's kind of an odd experience for mm -hmm. me. Can you think of one that you liked more the second time? Did you oh, like the boy. opening of Speed Racer more the second time? I definitely time? liked the opening of Speed Racer more the second time. Mm -hmm. Enough that I'm actually considering watching the entire movie now, which I would never have considered in the past. I'm not sure. Like, I'm, I'm trying to decide... Because there's definitely movies that I love and have watched multiple times, mm -hmm. right? Like Chinatown. Right. Uh, Chinatown is one I always feel guilty for loving because of Roman Polanski. Yeah. But it is one of my favorite crime movies, and I'm a big crime movie guy. And I love it more every time I watch it because of the way that I can see the wheels turning in the background. Here's another reason that you might enjoy something more the second time. My wife and I and my brother and his wife watched Better Off Dead last night. And my wife and his wife had never seen it. Mm. While it is a cult classic favorite of my brother and I, which we can quote almost verbatim, yeah. right? I'm bad at quoting things, so that's why I give the almost <laughs> verbatim, because I always get the quotes wrong, even for my own books. But we watched this movie, and my enjoyment of it, watching my wife laugh, was mounds higher than even enjoying it as a kid, mm -hmm. watching it before. Being able to introduce this classic of stupid humor to my yes. wife, and- her laughing in part because she knows how my humor and Jordo's humor work and saying that we like these things because they are so dumb, but they're dumb in a brilliant way. And like that showing was the most fun I've ever had with that movie, despite it being one of my all-time favorites. Well, okay. So speaking of which, mm -hmm. a movie that I definitely enjoyed more the second time, and yet I never, ever spoil for anybody, is Lady Hawk. 
Mm. Because Lady Hawk has got a moment in it. It is one of my favorite movies to introduce people to. Mm -hmm. Because there's a section where I just stop watching the movie and start watching you because you're going to figure out what's going on. And I want to see your face when you do. And I'm not going to say what any of it is in case there are some of our viewers who have not seen this like 40-year-old fantasy movie. But knowing the twist makes me enjoy it. I love to go back and I love to watch all the clues and I love to see what's happening. But I also love that experience of watching people completely unspoiled experience it for the first time. So two nuances to these studies about spoilers that I want Mm -hmm. to kind of bring up so we can dig in deeper. Because like most studies, there are nuances. And this doesn't come across in most news articles on them. So one nuance is, and you will not be surprised to determine this, they find that people stratify and that there are people who dislike spoilers and it decreases their enjoyment of the film. There Mm. just are more who like being spoiled even though they don't know it, right? And so when you get a study like this and it's like people's enjoyment of of films goes up when they're spoiled, the asterisk is some people's enjoyment goes up and some people's goes down. More people tend to enjoy. And the, the really big bomb for this tends to be that that even there are any people who would enjoy it more. And indeed, the people whose enjoyment goes down tends to not go down that much. And the people whose enjoyment goes up tends to not go up that much. The yeah. spoilers don't really affect the experience as much as we think it mm-hmm. does. But there are legitimately people that do not like being spoiled. And then the other nuance is genre and type of film plays a large role in this as well. And I think we've already kind of discussed this idea that Mm -hmm. if there's a movie that hinges on the twist, if you know who did it, then your enjoyment might more likely to go down unless you're the type of person who enjoys seeing how they put it together. And I think that being a craftsperson who likes how stories are told Mm -hmm. will change that. Like you and I, I know that I'll just speak for myself. I won't speak for you. I went through a time where I disliked stories more than I used to. And that wording is bad. Right when I started becoming an author, my enjoyment of other pieces of media went down for a while. And this is because as I was learning to create story, I started to be unable to see beyond the bones of a narrative. Mm -hmm. And... It's not like a superpower. It's not like I'm really great at this. Most people who construct narratives learn very quickly how to pick apart a movie and know where the narrative is going. Because if a narrative is not signposting where it's going, it's going to be unsatisfying. And we can spot those signposts better than most people can. And so it's become a meme that my wife likes to see me do this. And so when we're watching a movie at about, you know, the 15 or 20 minute mark, I will lean over and tell her my predictions, right? And I am right more often than I'm wrong. I'm wrong a fair amount of time still because that's early to be giving predictions. But, you know, it's a mini superpower that comes along with being someone who constructs narratives. Most of our listeners probably could do this or may have done it. But for a while, my enjoyment went down because I'm like, ah. And then it came back up. And it came back up because the loss in being spoiled by spoiling myself was replaced by watching to see how they did it and enjoying the craft more. Yeah. You can see this at play in like Penn and Teller Fool Us, right? They know how 95% of those people are doing their tricks. They still love watching them, 
because they get a kick out of watching experts do the thing they are expert at. And we get the same thing with fiction, with stories, with all of this other stuff. I wonder, let's take a step back mm-hmm. from spoilers. Yeah. And because I think one of the things that might be going on here is there is enjoyment in discovering the new thing, right? And really, when we talk about spoilers, what we mean is discovering the new thing earlier rather than later. So, for example, Magic the Gathering. Mark Rosewater very famously Uh hated doing spoilers for cards. I don't know if he still does, if he's gotten over it, but he always used to gripe about it to the point that it bothered him even previewing cards on their website. But the fans almost universally love card previews and look up spoilers and all that kind of thing. And what I suspect is going on there, which is similar to what we're talking about, is you still have the experience of seeing the new cards. You just see them in a different place than the creator intended for you to see them. Yeah. And, you know, in something like The Sixth Sense, the timing matters a lot. But something like The Lord of the Rings, it doesn't. You can learn the cool thing early, or you can learn the cool thing right on time, and you've still seen a really cool thing that makes you happy. Yeah, I think that's a very astute observation. It's my goblet. (laughs) It's your goblet. Your goblet is. (laughs) One of the things one of the studies talks about is that enjoyment in media tends to depend heavily on engagement, which Mm -hmm. I would say is very true. Expectations and engagement are two key factors and enjoying. And if you can't get engaged because you know the spoiler, then your enjoyment goes down. But if the spoiler somehow engages you more or doesn't doesn't impede it, yes, then suddenly you have a better experience or an equivalent experience. And mm-hmm. uh, engagement is one of those things that's really interesting to think about. It's It's a YouTube thing. We're not talking about necessarily YouTube engagement. They are like, Engagement means, did people leave comments? Did people leave likes? Things like that. What we mean is buy-in. Are you buying into the premises of the story? I always talk about how even the best movies, if you walk in at the wrong time, you can end up thinking they're ridiculous because drama becomes melodrama really quickly without buy-in. And the beginnings of stories' job is, is to get you to buy-in. So, yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid... When I started kindergarten, E.T. had just come out that summer. And my grandmother wanted to take me out to see it. Big party before her first oldest grandchild started school. Mm -hmm. So she took me to E.T. But we got there about 10 minutes late. So I missed the entire foundation of, look at this nice guy who goes around helping plants. And we actually got there during the scene where Elliot is looking for the weird monster in his shed in the backyard. And so the buy-in for me was, this is a horror movie about a monster stalking a little boy. And I was terrified of E.T. forever. And so if you don't get the right foundation, if you don't have the right setup for a story, your experience with it will be completely different. Have we talked about how fascinating I find things like CinemaScore? You know what cinema score is? Isn't that like a Rotten Tomatoes thing? It is, but it's an exit poll for movies. Okay. Of viewer enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And cinema scores are fascinating in that to get a really low cinema score, something has to be go horribly wrong, right? Yeah. And it's usually not, 
that the film is bad. Once in a while it is. Mm -hmm. But if a film is bad, people don't go to the film unless they're expecting a bad film. They've seen the Rotten Tomatoes score. They've heard their friends talking about it and things like this. And so the films, if you go look up films that got a D or an F on CinemaScore, some of them are the great disasters of all time, right? Yeah. Where people just win on opening day because they thought it would be good and things like that. But the vast majority of them are horror movies that are not horror movies. Okay. What do I mean by this? Well, it means that the marketing people were handed an art house film mm -hmm. by an auteur director. Mother is a great example of this. If you want to go read up on mm -hmm. the film Mother. And then the marketing people are like, what do we do with this? This is a weird art house <laughs> remake of a biblical story starring a popular Hollywood starlet in a role that is very different from what she normally does. It's all artsy. And uh, what if we pretend it's a horror movie? And then they cut a trailer for it mm -hmm. that really hypes out the elements that might be a little bit horrific in the context of the film, but it's not a horror movie. And then they release it, hoping that people will go their opening week and they all go and do not get the film they were promised. And they all give it a D or an F yeah. on their cinema score. And I find that just fascinating. It's the thing that happens in Hollywood that basically doesn't happen in any other type of media. It did happen to me. Mm. So dear viewers, this is a fun thing to do. Go to Amazon, look up I Am Not a Serial Killer by Dan Wells and read all the one-star reviews. Because almost across the board, it's people who thought they were getting a true crime thriller and were super pissed off that there was supernatural stuff in it. Because we kind of whiffed that when we were doing the edits for it. We decided we were going to take out some of the early signposting about you know, supernatural monsters. There's still a little in there, but not as much as there used to be because we thought it would be a fun surprise. And for a lot of people, it was a fun surprise, but there is that portion of the audience that mm -hmm. was like, oh, this is, you know, the stranger beside me or the girl next door or one of these true crime serial killer stories. And then just lost it when it turned out to be fantasy. This is one thing I think about a lot. I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, expectations and how they play into storytelling, which is dangerous for us storytellers, right? Mm -hmm. Because the better we get, the harder it is to provide that. It is. Which is not only do the, they get wise to our tricks and our narrative tricks, right? So you can't do the same thing too many times, or at least they start to watch for the, like this happened to Shyamalan, right? Yeah. Where people started to watch for the twist ending. He even played it up in Unbreakable. You have that thing where, you know, one of the characters is like, oh, this comic has a twist ending, referencing really the film itself. Yeah. And so everybody's watching for the twist ending and seeing if it works. And then it suddenly works against him where he's like, I have to have better and better twists. And it turns out the twists actually got worse and worse through the course of his early career. And so because of that, some really legitimately good films with weak twists become regarded as some of his worst yeah, these uh, giant films. millstones around mm -hmm. his neck yeah not because they're bad yeah but because they're not the sixth sense yeah and it's so hard to you know redo those huge early successes that brought you all the attention in the first place right well and you know he legitimately has made some terrible films also yeah. let's Great. let's let's admit that but his middle it's like the middle early part of his career where he made signs and the village where he was working so hard 
to make the twist ending work. And Signs is just some really great character work and some really great horror mm-hmm. that has this twist ending that is just a kind of lame twist that, you know, you could have written that and film without it and had a stronger film. I don't know his thought process or yeah. the strictures he was under, mm-hmm. but I have always wondered if that was just a kind of straightforward horror story about faith. Yeah. That got, you know, through his own, you know, insecurity or his own drive to repeat something mm-hmm. or a studio pressure to give us another sixth sense, it ended up getting twisted into something it wasn't supposed to be. I have no idea if that's true. Ooh, here's a, like the village is a great example of what we're talking about. I think if the twist of the village had been told to you at scene one, people would like the film better. Oh, I absolutely think that they absolutely. would. Absolutely. So I'm going to spoil the village, which I still <laughs> really like. I think it is one of the stronger Shyamalans because the acting is really good. Mm-hmm. The cinematography is gorgeous. The pacing and setting is really cool. You know, the twist is it's modern day. It's this kind of Puritan society yeah. that turns out to be like a commune in modern day. and no- Yeah, where people left the modern day rigmarole yeah. and went to live in this kind of cosplay of Puritan America and created monsters in the woods that they go act out in order to frighten the people in the village into staying. Mm -hmm. And that twist is just kind of lame. Well, and Um, it's because the twist doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't inform your knowledge of the story or the characters. It's just like, oh, hey, also, guess what? Mm -hmm. It's modern times. Now, a movie about parents trying to protect their children from the horrors of modern life Mm-hmm. by creating monsters to scare them at night and keep them from venturing outside the yeah. village. That is a like really if, great if story. we had seen this all, not from the point of view of Bryce Dallas Howard, yes. but from the point of view of, who was the dude? Was it like Donald Sutherland or something? No, but yeah. The, Old yeah. gray bearded man. Yeah. If it was all from his point of view and we were watching one moral compromise after another as he is mm-hmm. convinced the only way to save his children's souls is to terrify them. Yeah. That's a strong movie. Right. You can even have her protag as you were doing where she's finding out or, you know, she's living. Anyway, that's a story where that twist, focusing so much on the twist, was this millstone um, that towed the movie down and then towed him right off the edge. I haven't seen a good Shyamalan film since. <laughs> now, granted- I haven't seen the recent ones. I did not see Split, like, which uh, as everyone says is his return to form. Split so. and then the whatever came after that. His yes. Avengers. Yes, his Avengers. Though a lot of people like the reviews on that one are real painful to read because <laughs> yeah, this is not a Shyamalan podcast. We'll, we'll move on. Okay, so we've talked a lot about twists that didn't work mm-hmm. and twists that spoiled people. Let's follow this village idea. What do you think, going back to these studies you're talking about, what are some movies where you think spoiling would actually increase your enjoyment or cases where spoilers have increased your own enjoyment? Oh, boy. Which is hard to know because before you were spoiled, you don't know. Do you have any examples? Let me think on this. Movies that I was spoiled on that increased my enjoyment. See, I am a hyper disliking spoilers person right Mm -hmm. this comes down to though i think some of the stuff you were talking about right i'm gonna generally figure out the film in the first 15 minutes Mm -hmm. of the film and that 15 minutes figuring it out is enjoyable to me i like trying to figure out all right what is this film doing where is it going and am i going to be right and so if i watch a trailer that usually gives you the 15 minutes 
Mm -hmm. And so I walk into the film already knowing all of that. Famously in writing group, Alan Layton, our mutual friend who is very boisterous and likes to talk about things that he enjoys, has learned he can't even say a word about something that I'm planning to watch. Because if he does, I will piece together what's going on from just the way he talks about it. And I'll be like, oh, yeah. is this the twist? And he'll be like, ah, <laughs> right? I only said three sentences. And I'm like, well, there's only... You know, a couple of twists you do so with many that. directions that can go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, what was your experience watching The Truman Show? Mm. Because you get the big twist about 15 or 20 minutes yeah. in. Like, it just spoils itself at that right. point. I loved The Truman Show. Had you seen a trailer or had any spoilers think, prior? See, this is this is going back far enough that I think I was spoiled on it. I think I knew. Yeah. This is late 90s. I think it was just a regular cinema goer at that point, though, right? Mm -hmm. And so, this was 98. 98, when right. It came out. So I guess I was post-becoming a writer and things, but I don't know. I can't remember. I know that I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And that movie is not about its twist. It is about its character. Yeah, and, twist is the wrong word to use yes. for that, but... The secret that's going on, uh -huh. it plays it straight for about 15, 20 minutes, Which and is, then it yeah. dumps the whole thing on. Perfect for that film, right? Yeah. Just really well, well-made film. I did have it spoiled prior uh -huh. and watched the whole thing, you know, and so even in those first few minutes, knew what was going on. And I remember having conversations with people at the time saying, oh, it would have been so much cooler if they dragged it out. No, I, I absolutely don't think it would have. I can tell you that one of the reasons that I haven't, despite your and many others' constant urging, seen Avatar, mm -hmm. the television show, is because I know the entire plot, right? <laughs> and I know it's not about that, and I probably mm -hmm. enjoy it. There, there's really a couple things holding me back. Number one, it's just so long, and I just don't have time for that. Number two yeah. is the thing that I've been told many times I need to get over. I watched the first few episodes, and was like, eh. And I don't have that investment, that buy-in yet after yeah. those episodes. Mixed with, I know the entire story now, just things people have said, let me connect the entire arc of yeah. the series. And so because of that, I just never picked it up. And in that case, I don't know what would happen if I did, right? Maybe I shouldn't yeah. be like, yeah, knowing this entire plot did not spoil this for me, but I yeah. know. Well, I don't want to try to push you into watching mm -hmm. it because we've had that conversation many times. But I do think that Avatar is a really good example of my overall spoiler philosophy, which is mm -hmm. I'm not watching this because I want to be surprised. I'm watching this because I like the way they do what they're doing, which is, you know, why I love so many of the things that I love. Because, like you said, it, in, the, in the early stages of any movie or TV show, you can go, oh, I know what's going to happen. And I can turn to my daughter, who is usually my TV watching buddy, and mm -hmm. say, oh, they're going to do this and this and this and this. And sometimes even, and I'm sure you do mm -hmm. the same, we can say lines of dialogue before the characters do. Yes. Because yeah. they're following these, you know, formulas is yes. a bad word to use, but recognizable patterns. How about this? I thoroughly enjoy Jungle Cruise, despite the fact that, like, this isn't a case of a movie that is extra guessable because it wears its influences on its sleeve. And it's the type of movie that the people who are not deep into plot and things like that go into and they're like, oh, I've seen this movie. Well, how have I seen this movie before? And they're just connecting all the dots mm -hmm. and things like that to the point that, you know, like one of the big reveals in the movie, which is 
still handled very well. Minutes before, I was like, so how are they going to reveal that this? And then a few minutes later, I'm like, oh, that's how. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fine reveal, I suppose. Yep. It turns out it's the exact same way that they do it in another movie that uh, is that this is based off of, basically. And so that was a little bit whatever. But I still enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I enjoyed that movie thoroughly. And that's just because The Rock is up hulking ball of charisma oh yeah and emily blunt is just amazing to watch at all times she's just mm -hmm. really good and the two of them had great chemistry and so suddenly it's just a really great film that's awesome this is my philosophy about action scenes which mm -hmm. is that for the most part they're boring because i know how they're going to end i don't have to watch you punch him 15 times because i know who's going to win the fight but there are always like the jackie chans or the donnie yens or whoever that I am delighted to watch you get to the place where I know we're already going. 